could I sense a bit of country in that? Yeah. You know that in a song, the moment the word ain't appears, you know it's country, right? It's time for our kids to leave us for Kids Church uh, with their leaders, so thank you, leaders and kids. This morning we, uh, we continue our series in the letter of the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. Um, put on the armour, part 2, Ephesians six fifteen to 16, and this is part 26. Already 26 weeks we've been dealing with the letter to the Ephesians. So we find ourselves in the last chapter, and we're discussing things that perhaps in our day and age are a little bit hard to to take in. Things like the enemy, principalities and powers and the need for Christians to be wearing an armour. Now, you're sort of saying, well, I thought we were all about peace and love, so why use language relating to war? Because the moment... We need to understand this, that the moment that someone becomes a Christian, the Bible tells us that they're in a war, a spiritual war. As an unbeliever, the devil and his mates and his cohorts, his demons, were not all that interested in you because you were already in darkness, you're already living in darkness, you're already part of their domain. But the moment you surrender your life to Christ, you swapped ownership. You move from darkness to light and your allegiance is now to Christ. What's the devil going to do? Well, he's not going to take this lying down, is he? His attacks will continue. They are dangerous. They are relentless. Always looking for a weak point. Always looking for the stragglers. Always looking if you've opened a window or let him... Given him a foothold. For this reason, we are often warned against underestimating our enemy. And Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5 8, be alert and sober of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And I spoke last week about on how a few years ago uh, they did a survey, about 30 years ago they did a survey by the Barnard Institute and and, uh, asked believers what they thought about uh, Satan or whether Satan was a real person, a real spiritual being. And uh, what happened? Well, about half of them said that he wasn't. Are real. It's just an idea. And the other dangerous uh, attitude is to think that Satan is only out to get those who are serious, are fanatical about their faith. So, so as long as you're not all that committed uh, to your faith, then Satan is, is going to leave you alone. He's not going to take you all too seriously. If you're thinking like that, and I think a lot of Christians... You know, they don't want to really disturb Satan too much. They don't want to stir trouble. You know, don't wake him up. Don't wake up the lion, right? 
If you're thinking like that, uh, I'm just going to say that's not how it works. Remember the three enemies? The world, the flesh and the devil. You still have the world and the flesh to deal with. And you're exposed. In any case, Satan exists. His demons are out to destroy you for all of eternity. This isn't just one hit after another. It is for the rest of eternity. As Levon just shared with us. That is his purpose. And if he's out to get us, we need all the armour of God to withstand, to be protected by our Lord. And it's good to know that we are not alone in this. And God has given us all the necessary equipment for this battle. Last week we, we looked at the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. This morning we continue with another two essential pieces of this armoury, which are the, the shoes and the shield. So let's look first of all at verse 15. Put on the shoes of peace. And with your feet, it says, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The literal translation is the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now the shoes worn by the, the Roman soldiers in, in the Roman Empire were called caligae. And they were made from three layers of leather which were pulled up and laced up around the, the ankle and up the shin. Now, these were very different from the sandals that the rest of the population wore. These were specifically designed to keep soldiers' feet healthy during those long marches. And also, particularly when they were going through difficult terrain, they, they would... At, on, the, on the underside, they would put small spikes or iron hobnails were often driven in the soles of these shoes in order to give better grip on difficult and uneven terrain. Having these shoes on meant that the soldier was truly ready for battle. Now, for us, when we want to relax, one of the things that we do is take our shoes off and and we put our feet up. That's a relaxing attitude, isn't it? We want to rest. Because we normally associate relaxing with peace. Yet here, the language and the context of the passage is that we are called to war with the gospel of peace. How does that work? Sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? thing is, we can be actually standing in the middle of a battle and be at peace at the same time. Let's picture this Roman soldier standing in the middle of this bloodiest battle you can imagine. And yet he is unmoved because he has to hold the line at all costs. He's under orders. He needs to hold the ground. And, and the last week we looked at how the child of God is, is called to stand firm within these, these verses. When we have done all to stand, 
to stand and to remain standing. We're not actually called to put our feet up and take a rest on a hammock for the rest of time. This is because we need to remain standing and and remain standing in the finished work of Christ. So no matter what assails us, no matter what the devil throws at us, no matter what comes from the world, no matter what comes from the flesh, from within, we can be at peace even though we're in the midst, standing in a bloody battle. There are casualties everywhere. Just look around. What does, what does Satan use? What are his weapons? He's not very imaginative. You know, he's, he's using the same tools. And a lot of this stuff we handed to him. Here, shoot me with this arrow. Here, here's the gun. Just shoot me. Okay? Why do we do that? What does he use? He uses restlessness, anxiety, fear, hopelessness. And we, and we have allowed Satan to have us over a barrel. But if you learn to stand in the gospel of peace, these things must go. They have to go. The Bible says, resist the devil and what? And he will flee. That is a promise. It's not a suggestion. It was the prophet Isaiah who said this, Isaiah 26, verse 3. We know these words. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed, fixed on you. Why? Because he trusts in you. That's where the peace comes from. And that is a wonderful promise. It's all about trust. That's what it is, standing, standing, refusing to be moved. Now let's look at, take a little bit closer look at what this peace looks like. Firstly, the stability we need begins by knowing the good news of our peace with God. Peace with God. This is what Paul says in Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who live their lives apart from God will forever be searching but will never be able to attain this peace. We see how many are forever wanting this peace, forever filling their empty lives with things and passions, pleasures to calm their restless hearts. They can't because the moment they become sober again, the moment they come back from their holidays, it's all there in front of them again. So obviously this this peace cannot come from just taking it easy or relaxing or buying something or all of that. This is because there's a deeper problem. They have no peace with God. But there is no excuse for the child of God who has already surrendered his or her life to Christ to not attain this, to not know this, to be reminded of this through the Scriptures. 
There is no condemnation. We have peace with God. We have been justified by faith through Christ. So this is really important. Secondly, flowing from the stability which comes from attaining peace with God is having peace of God. And I think this is where a lot of us fail, the peace of God. Paul says in Philippians Philippians 4, 7, he says, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts, will guard. That's that protection that we're looking at in Ephesians. Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It seems like a contradiction, doesn't it, that that there's this peace and a defence at the same time. But this is what the peace of God is. It stands watch over your heart in the same way that a military guard stands watch. The Lord watches over you. Going in, coming out. It stands to reason then that we have to trust a little more. Because if we, we know that the Lord is watching over his own, let's not be so fearful. Let's not be so scared. Let's be a little bit more confident that God has got this. And if our Lord is watching over us, then all these foreign invaders that might come to attack us, like anxiety, worry, keep him out. Because he's there with us. And this peace of God, of course, comes in different ways. Um, Sometimes we don't experience this peace of God because of our lack of knowledge lack of understanding, lack of wisdom. Well, you, know, you know what we're going to do about wisdom, right? We're going to ask for it. That's what James says. There's an author, Tim Hansel, who, who wrote this. He said, and he tells a story, and I quote, he says, in my late 20s, a bunch of my friends and I decided to sail around the world. I have to admit, though, that at the time I was a bit worried. I hadn't even sailed before. I was uneasy and anxious. So I spent a lot of time reading the Bible and praying about it until it dawned on me that God was whispering, Tim, I'll give you peace if you read some books on sailing. The reason you're anxious is not due to a lack of prayer, but your lack of sailing knowledge. I wasn't unprayerful, I was unskilled. So I took a step I needed to take to let God work his peace in my heart so I began reading about sailing. Simple, isn't it? What is the source of your anxiousness? Thirdly, we know that within the very fabric of the gospel of peace is the need for it to be shared to be shared abroad, to be taken out. 
to be delivered to others so that they also might be blessed by it. This was a very strong point in Naomi's commissioning yesterday. Why do people leave the comfort of a wonderful free society like Australia? People have all that they want. They can do whatever they want, unrestricted, and yet leave all of this and go to a situation in the midst of conflict Why would you do that? Who's in the same mind when you have to be always be thinking about yourself, number one, it's about me, it's about you, me. Why would they do that? Because God has called them and he says, I want you to go. And we as a church support quite a few missionaries who out there. But don't just let them do the job. We also need to share this good news with others. Because the gospel is, is like that fruit, let's, let's call it an orange, that it has the seed. It's not a seedless orange. It's got the seed inside of it. When it's ripe, it falls and the seed comes on the ground. The, 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 the orange will ultimately decompose and the seed will stay there. Some birds will pick it up and take it somewhere else and you know how they do that. What happens afterwards? At other times the rains and the floods come and they wash it down to the streams and the rivers and they spread this seed somewhere else. It travels. Because all the, the, the whole tree is contained within that seed that will then produce more oranges. It will be carried abroad. If you just say, well, I'm just going to eat this fruit and I will destroy the seed. You just killed its ability to reproduce. And I think this is what we do many times with the gospel. I'm going to use all the benefits, all the blessings of the gospel, but I'm going to keep them to myself. Thank you very much. We read in Isaiah, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. I don't know what your feet are like. Mine are pretty ugly, I've got to be honest. But somehow, when you're sharing the gospel, they become beautiful. And it's not because of the way they look or their appearance, but the function that they do. They are taking this beautiful seed, the gospel. It's been spread and shared with others. This, this world needs it so desperately, right? Please be prepared to share the seed of the gospel. This gospel of peace to a lost world. Meanwhile, the, the war continues. The war is raging. The stress continues to mount and yet in the middle of it, God grants peace. Because of what he has done for us, we can rest. And, and 
And let's just remember this, that none of this armour that we're supposed to be wearing, none of it makes the battle cease. It's not like suddenly you put this armour on and, and the battle stops. No. What it does is it gives us a fighting chance because of Christ, our general, our commander-in-chief. Now let's look at the shield of faith, verse 16. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now all of these three pieces of armour that we have looked at so far, so the belt, the breastplate, and the shoes, they are to be protected with a shield that is in front. You see, those other things will be a lot weaker if they didn't have the protection of the shield in front. Makes sense, right? So you need the shield to cover the rest of the armour. And for, for Paul, for the Apostle Paul, this shield represented his faith in Jesus Christ. Now the Roman shields, I'll tell you a little bit about the Roman shields. These were rectangular in shape. They're about two and a half feet wide by about four foot. You know, so they were they weren't small things, right? This shield was quite solid, made up of two layers of laminated wood stuck together with glue. Over the wood was a linen cloth and over the linen cloth was the leather, the leather hide. And at the top and the bottom they were galvanised with iron. Many times these needed to be strong because what was popular in those days is that the enemy's arrows were, were dipped in tar and lit before they were, they were fired. And this is why the Apostle Paul calls them flaming arrows or fiery darts in another translation. Make no mistake, this was a very advanced and dangerous weapon that was used in ancient warfare, especially when you have quite a few soldiers firing, the enemy firing arrows all standing together and it was like a, like a shower, like raining arrows coming on top of you. There was nowhere to hide. So to combat these flaming arrows, the, the, the shields were often, uh, they were soaked in water so that when the flaming arrows hit, they could be extinguished. And once the flaming arrows got stuck into the shield, they were, they were put out, hopefully by the, the composition of the shield. There's a story, in this, it's a historical record, there's a story of a, of a famous battle where a soldier counted 220 arrows stuck on his shield at the end of a battle. 220 arrows. But there's more to this. Instead of, um, in addition, which is what the NIV translation says, the, the King James Version has above all, above all, which is also a lesson for us. The shield in the battle was many times literally put above, so it was held up here. You might have seen some of these pictures where the Roman soldiers coming together in a square and interlocking 
interlocking their shields all together. And the ones on the side, they would lock their shields there and the ones in front, all around, covered totally everybody, huddled together with their shields above, around. This was especially effective when the, 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 the rain of arrows started, those flaming arrows started coming down. You form this tight, neat shelter and the shield was above you and beside you and around you. No part could be exposed because that would be a weak point. But remember the shield, whether it be physical, whether the shield is spiritual, what we are talking about here, it can only be effective when it is raised. If a shield is simply parked on the side or left in your garage, it's, it's not going to be effective. Similarly, your faith will only be effective when it is used. Now, I hope that none of us will get shot with a real fiery arrow. But we do get shot from within by filthy thoughts, lust, pride, worry, unbelief, jealousy, covetousness, selfishness, hate. And when temptations to sin hit their mark, they can set our minds and our hearts ablaze and they spread with wicked thoughts and desires. And once they enter into our minds, the accuser then comes to attack us with lies and doubts about our standing before God. At other times, the attacks come from outside in the form of, in, in the form of unjust criticism and, and, and put-downs. Some people just will never like us. Let's face it. I'm used to it. No matter what you do, and, and and Satan keeps shooting his arrows until they catch a light, and then you're dealing with a bigger fire that has to be put out. So one very important lesson from all of this is that you and I we need to bring our shields together in fellowship. This is what the church is. Any soldier out there is unable to protect himself from every possible direction because he's exposed. He can't possibly cover or carry all that many shields. That's why he needs others to stand with him. This is what the church is if we want to stand against the enemy. And the Bible is is full of stories of, of courageous men and women whose faith was tested, yet they triumphed. One of the earliest episodes is in Genesis 14 where Abraham had to battle some pagan kings in order to to rescue his his wandering nephew Lot. And and, and these kings attacked the king of Sodom and his allies and Abraham and his servants. They went and and, and defeated, defeated the armies. And after he defeats them in battle, 
we read in, in Genesis 15:1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Love that. I, and this is after the kings actually offered him so much money that they said, this, we're going to reward you. And Abram said, no, I can't. I can't take it. And then God appears and says, I am your great reward. What else do you want? You don't need anything else. It's me you want. And here I am. I will protect you and I will be your great reward. What is faith? What does it look like? Well, faith is a simple outstretched hand, open hand, which receives what God gives. It is by faith that we enter the Christian life. It is by faith that we persevere in the Christian life by trusting God's promises. It is not simply faith in general, like the expression, you just got to have faith. It is faith in particular, faith in Jesus Christ. And the centrality of faith is made clear by this, this great verse that we read. That was our earliest reading this morning from Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous will live by faith. So the shield of faith is, is the confident in God's power, the trusting in his grace and the, the believing that his work on the cross is complete. Now, contrary to popular belief, the shield does not protect you and me from physical suffering and it does not guarantee a life of comfort and ease. The battle continues. What faith does, though, is to receive what God has promised. It causes us to to stand against the doubts that assail us. It, It believes that as a loving Father, God will protect us and even when we feel that he doesn't, we still trust. Those great words from Job. Though he slay me, still I will trust in him. Though he slay me, even though he kills me, I'm still going to trust him because I know what he's doing. In this regard, Oswald Chambers, the late Oswald Chambers, he said, and I quote, faith for my deliverance is not faith in God. Interesting, isn't it? It says, faith for my deliverance is not faith in God. Faith means whether I'm visibly delivered or not, I will stick to my belief that God is love and there are some things that I can only learn in a fiery furnace. That's trust beyond our circumstances. Trust in God in every sense of the word. And our faith in God and the promises he has made is strengthened when we consider our Lord Jesus Christ, how he came the, the, overcame the forces of temptation. He told his disciples, you know these words, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Peace. 
and, and in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, cheer up. I have overcome the world. And this is even before his crucifixion, before his resurrection. He was already saying, the victory is here. It's now. I have overcome the world. That's our general speaking. Let me leave you with this story uh, that is told by uh, a pastor. He says, and I quote, Some years ago when I was learning to fly, uh, my instructor told me to put the plane into a steep and extended dive. I was totally unprepared for what was about to happen. After a brief time, the engine stalled and the plane began to plunge out of control. It soon became evident that the instructor was not going to help me at all. After a few seconds, which seemed like eternity, my mind began to function again. I quickly corrected the situation. Immediately I turned to the instructor and began to vent my fearful frustrations at him. And he very calmly said to me, there is no position you can get this airplane into that I cannot get you out of. If you want to learn to fly, let's go up there again and do it all over again. At that moment, God seemed to be saying to me, remember this, as you serve me, there is no situation you can get yourself into that I cannot get you out of. If you trust me, it'll be all right. And that lesson, he said, has been proven true in my ministry many, many times over in all these years. So I know where the world is at at the moment. We all know where the world is at. But maybe God is saying to us, where are you at? My daughter, my child. If you have surrendered your life to Christ, live by faith. If you have never taken that step, then you need to take that step. Accept him as your Lord and Saviour. Start to live for him. Become part of the family. And this life is short, constantly reminded of that, how short it is. But the other side, life continues. Eternity is a very long time. Make sure you want to live with our Saviour in heaven rather than the other place in hell because that is also for eternity. As they say, choose wisely. And may God be with us. Amen.